Okay, tonight is First Kings, and as we cruise through, and so um, we are. Um, uh oh, I did forget that. Okay. Anyway, I was making another slide and I forgot what there. But anyways, twenty-two chapters in this. That's my mess up. Okay, so twenty-two chapters in First Kings, and First Kings is about the reign of Solomon, and then the kingdom divides, and that's. Uh, most of what it's about, but it's also about, as we'll get to it in a moment, it's also about the ministry of uh, Elijah, and it'll end up with the ministry of also a young man named Elisha. So as we look at this tonight, um, the, the date on this was roughly about 960 to 834 because it, it has the end of David's reign, and then it goes through the reign of Solomon, and then after the death of Solomon, the kingdom divides, and we'll see that tonight. Um, let me make a quick note here as we go through this. Um, the next few weeks will be kind of repetitive at places because First and Second Kings, especially Second Kings, well, half of First Kings, but First Kings, Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, both of them uh, record the um, the kingdom uh, under uh, David and then Solomon, and then after Solomon's uh, reign when it divides. Um, and so first and second kings, the difference is, and I'll mention this when we get to Chronicles, first and second kings talks about the divided kingdom from the mostly from the viewpoint of the northern kingdom. And then first and second chronicles, when it talks about the divided kingdom, it does it mostly from the southern kingdom, the viewpoint of the southern kingdom, which is Judah, which is composed of Judah and Benjamin. So in a similar way, it's kind of like the gospel accounts. Remember, there are four gospel accounts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of those, uh, as they write, when they have some of the same parables of Jesus or miracles of Jesus or the things he taught or preached, um, sometimes it's, you'll see a different, um, um, I don't, well, don't really want to, you can use the word viewpoint, but it's a some will give different um, details than the other. Well, similar to the accounts of 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And we'll, I'll mention that when we get to uh, those books as well. But anyway, this is a period of the time where David, his last days and his death in chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 1 verse through verse chapter 2 and verse 12, um, he's, we saw the end of 1st Samuel, where, uh, excuse me, 2nd Samuel, where he had reigned, remember, after Saul died. And 2nd Samuel is all about the reign of David uh, and a few chapters from the end of 2 Samuel, Samuel dies. And so David uh, continued, of course, to reign as king, the second king of Israel. And then when he dies in chapter 1, or chapter 2, excuse me, of 1 Kings, uh, his son Solomon takes over. Solomon reigns for 40 years. And this is just a quick overview, and then I'll come, under, come back and we'll, we'll break it down a little bit more. But he reigns for 40 years. Solomon, unlike his father, uh, had a 40-year reign of complete peace. There were, no, there were no wars during the 40 years of Solomon's reign as king. Uh, Solomon had his problems, obviously, just like his father did and just like their descendants uh, and just like we all do. He had his problems uh, and, and th in ways, times where he failed the Lord, but he reigned for 40 years of peace and no other king in Israel could say that they reigned uh, for 40. Some of them didn't even reign that long, let alone with peace. Then the kingdom divides after the death of Solomon. Uh, one of his sons takes over the southern kingdom of Judah, 
And then, uh, then uh, there's another man named Jeroboam that takes over the northern kingdom, and there's some fight uh, and, and, um, to, to who's going to rule and who's going to reign in the kingdom, but it divides after the death of Solomon. It was still one kingdom as it was under Saul, as it was under David. Chapters 5 and 6, we already saw where, where David uh, died in, in chapter 2, but when Solomon begins his reign, he builds a temple in chapter 5 and 6, and then he builds the palace in chapter 7. In chapters 5 and 6, he takes uh, many years to build the, the uh, temple, and he builds it first. Uh, if you go with me to chapter 5, look at a few verses in there um, as, we, as we look at this from these two chapters where he was, um, he was the one that built the temple. His father, David, had that dream, that goal, that desire. He wanted to, to build the temple. That was in his heart. But remember, um, Nathan came back to him after the Lord spoke to Nathan and it said, Tell David, David, you've been a man of war uh, and you've shed blood. And of course, referring to, uh, to um, Bathsheba and, and uh, the sin there with, with uh, Bathsheba with, with her husband. And so uh, he said, but David, that's a great goal. That's a great desire. But you won't build the temple, but your son will. And so when we get to chapter 5, in the first few verses, you see where he's talking about gathering together those to help him mentions a man named Hiram that he sends for, who's the king of Tyre. Uh, he sends servants to Solomon. And um, he was, was one who loved, um, Hiram, Hiram was one who loved and respected David very much. And so he wanted to help Solomon. So he helped him with some of the furnishings as far as the, um, the lumber and so forth. And look at chapter 6. Let's look at the first couple of verses and then we'll go to the end of the chapter. Um. Chapter 6, verse 1, It came to pass the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt. So it took that long from the time they got out of Egypt until they finally got into the land under Joshua and the judges and then the king, the time of uh, Saul and then, then David. And it took 480 years from the time they left Egypt. Uh, and it says, In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month Ziph, which is the second month, they began to build the house of the Lord. And so when you read through there, we won't take time for that, of course, tonight. It's very lengthy and very, very detailed with all that he used to furnish the house, the wood, the lumber, the, um, the gold, everything that was used and how uh, the, be the beauty of, that it must have been as you uh, read through there and see all the items that were so detailed as they put the, together the uh, building of the, of the uh, temple. Look at verse 37 of chapter 6. In the fourth year was the foundation of the house of the Lord laid in the month of Ziph, and in the eleventh year, in the month bull, which is the eighth month, was the house finished throughout all the parts thereof, and according to the fashion of it, so it was seven years in the building. So it took him seven years to build the temple. That thing must have been something else. It was beautiful, I'm sure, very detailed. And again, when you read through that chapter, you'll see um, the great detail that the Lord takes in including uh, the, the items and description of how they were uh, how everything was uh, furnished in there. So that took seven years. Then when you read chapter 7, verse 1, down through all the way through chapter 12, it describes Solomon's uh, palace that was built. And that took uh, 11 years. That took, took longer. And uh, Solomon builds his uh, house there, builds, uh, has his palace built. And you read through in those chapters 7. I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 1 to 12, uh, you see a description there. And then when you get to chapter 7, verse 13 to 51, they furnish the temple. They bring the furnishings in. That would be the, um, 
There'll be the furniture inside, like the Ark of the Covenant and the, the table of showbread, the, um, the altar of incense and so forth. And that's in chapter 7, start at verse 13. Um, I think I said chapter 7 through 12, but that's chapter 7, verse 1 to 12, is the uh, description of the temple. being built, And then the furnishings there. And then you get chapter 8, verse 1 through chapter 9 and, and verse 9. It describes how the temple, when it was built, and it describes when it was dedicated. And so uh, you get over to chapter 9, and you see, um, and read, read through chapter 8 and chapter 9, when it was built, when it was dedicated, and um, the, the purpose of it for the uh, burnt offerings, the peace offerings, and so forth, um, that it was when it was built and the purpose of it. Go with me to chapter 8 and verse 50, um, start at verse 55. Um, Solomon, it says he's, he kneels, uh, he's kneeling on his knees, verse 54, and with his hands spread up to heaven, start at verse 55, and we'll read through verse 61. Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. And the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us, that we may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. And let these my words wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that, the, that, they, uh, that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times, as the matter shall require, that all the people of the earth, may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes, to keep his commandments as at this day. So the temple was dedicated there and uh, Solomon uh, got on his knees and, and prayed before uh, the Lord and dedicated the temple for the glory of the Lord. And so verse 60 says that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God. And in saying that in that prayer, it was... Um, a reminder to himself and a reminder to the people of Israel there as they dedicated the temple. Um, look, we're here for the Lord. We're not, you know, he's not here for us. I mean, he is here for us because he takes care of us, but we're for him. We're here for him. We're t we, we represent him and we're his, we're his people. And so he reminded them of that as the temple was being dedicated um, um, and, and to be used for God's glory. Then you get to chapter 10, verse 1 to 13, and he has a visit from the queen of Sheba. She comes way uh, from the east there to, to visit and to, um, to, to, um, to spend some time there. And before she got there, of course, she had heard of Solomon and all his wisdom um, and heard uh, who, of who he was. Look with me at chapter 10. Let's skip a couple of verses here. We'll just look around, not the whole 13 verses, but verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices, with very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. So here is a very important, uh, here's very important royalty coming to visit Solomon. She had heard a lot about him before she even got there. And she came to see, um, to see him as a king, but to see um, uh, Israel there to, uh, in Jerusalem to see the temple that was built. And as she says, uh, as she comments there and reads, we'll skip a few verses, 
Look with me at verse 6. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in my own land of, the, of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, I love this phrase, Behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. And so when this uh, royalty, this, this, this queen come to see Solomon, and as she said, in his wisdom, we'll come back to that in a moment, uh, and all the glory of the temple, of his palace that was built, she said, the half has not been told me. And so what a great example here, great picture, a great foreshadow for the Christian of uh, our time here on earth. We hear about heaven. We read about it in the scripture. We read, maybe read books about it, and you hear uh, sermons preached and lessons taught about it. But no matter what we say and how we try to describe it, some of the songs uh, tonight, in fact, a couple of the songs we sang, well, all three of them really were, were about heaven uh, and looking forward to heaven and being there. Want to be wonderful there. When we all get to heaven, um, looking forward to being there one day. Uh, but the, 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 you know, the half has not even been told us. We don't, we can't, in our minds, we can't even imagine. In fact, uh, scripture tells us, eyes not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered the heart of the things uh, which God has prepared for us. We can't even imagine how wonderful it's going to be. We'll see our Savior first and foremost. Then we'll see those that have gone on before, people that, uh, loved ones that we knew that were saved, and people that we never met that were saved. We'll, we'll be uh, with him. So she talks about the half that never been told. And so she then uh, hears of, and we in the scripture records more about, uh, the rest of that chapter, Solomon in his wealth and his glory. Then you get to chapter 11. In chapter 11, here's the, uh, here's the, um, the minor key in this chapter, a uh, sad chapter where Solomon's heart began to be taken from uh, having the desire to serve the Lord and live for him by the, um, by the women that came in his life, uh, the, um, all the wives and concubines, and uh, Scripture talks about that and how because of their um, uh, worshiping uh, false gods and idols, um, then Solomon, the scripture talks about how he even, uh, look over at verse um, uh, 6, and Solomon did in chapter 11, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh and then the abomination of Moab and the hill that is before Jerusalem and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. So uh, again, uh, we'll see here, beginning with Solomon, all through all of these kings, one, a very similar phrase is found, as David his father. All of them are compared to David. Uh, and so we see that comparison here with Solomon. You'll see it later with the other um, kings. And so when we see that, uh, we're reminded of when we see, you know, as, as Christians, uh, people see us, what, what good they see in us comes from our Savior. And, um, you know, we, we're not perfect, none of us, but people... Um, when they see us, what the good they see in us, hopefully they see that comes from our Savior. And it mentions that, you know, David being his father, Solomon, though he did many good things, there are were, there were places that uh, were times where he did not serve God, and this was towards the end of his life. So after his death, in chapter 11, uh, Solomon dies, and then the kingdom is divided. Go into chapter 12, verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was the, uh, 
yet in Egypt heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. They sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying. So here the kingdom divides, and Rehoboam is mentioned uh, in verse 43 of chapter 11, that he is the son of David, and he will reign in the place of his father. Now remember, uh, Solomon reigned after David died, and then Rehoboam reigns in the place of David. But what happens over these next couple of chapters, as you read, you see where this is where the kingdom divides. There is the northern kingdom, which from this point is called Israel. Now again, it can be kind of confusing, but once, if, you, if, you, if you get this in 1 Kings, it'll help you help clear up a lot for the rest of the Old Testament. Israel is the northern kingdom, and there are ten tribes there. Judah is the southern kingdom, and there are only two tribes and they are the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. So the southern kingdom, there are only two. That's the easiest one to remember. You can even memorize it. If you can say Judah and Benjamin, you got it. That's the southern kingdom. Those two. Then the northern kingdom, um, Dan, Naphtali, uh, Reuben, Asher, all those are the northern kingdom, the ten tribes that make up the northern kingdom. So here it divides in these, in these chapters. And uh, from this point on, it's no longer... Uh, one kingdom is a divided kingdom. Uh, the land doesn't change, doesn't move or anything like that. It's still the same land, but they're divided now. The kingdom, uh, the, the uh, capital of the southern kingdom is Jerusalem. And Judah there down in the southern part is Jerusalem. And so uh, the northern kingdom, uh, the capital there is Samaria, farther up north. And so that's going to make a difference for the rest of Scripture. From this point on, when you read about Samaria, that's because it's the capital of the northern uh, tribes, uh, northern kingdom, those ten tribes. Remember in the book of John, Gospel of John chapter 4, where there's a woman that's at a well, and Jesus comes by. What city was it she was in? She was in Samaria, right? She was a Samaritan woman. So Jesus traveled and went through Samaria well, one day when his, his ministry was pretty early on and his disciples, uh, uh, they went to get, get, get food while he was gone to Samaria. And he knew that he would see uh, and talk to this woman. And we know her as the woman at the well. The scripture doesn't give her name, just calls her that. And that's where Jesus talked to her and led her to Christ. And she went back into her city to tell him about Jesus. So it's divided. Ten tribes, um, two, tri uh, two tribes. The kings in the, the Israel, the northern, this is an easy way to remember this too. So northern, ten tribes. Every king in the northern, of, of the northern kingdom, every one of them, they were rotten. They were bad. <laughs> they were terrible kings. Everyone, some more so than others, but they were all bad kings. The two southern tribes, Judah, and Benjamin, there were seven or eight, depending on how you want to count them, uh, seven or eight that were good kings. The rest of their kings were like the kings of Israel. They were bad. They were rotten. So we'll go through that real quick. Um, if, if, um, if you um, want to take pictures of this, or maybe we can, if you want to get it from the recording, we'll go kind of quick. In chapter 12 through chapter 14, Jeroboam, who is actually Jeroboam the first. Uh, he, is, uh, he reigns for 22 years as the kingdom is divided. He's the first king of the divided kingdom in Israel after Solomon died. Then there was a man named Nadab who was king for two years, very short reign. And then another one, Baasha, who was king for 24 years. 
Then you get to a king named Elah, uh, who reigned like the two before him, two years. Then you got one that reigned in chapter 16, verse 11 to 20, for only one week. His name was Zimri. And uh, they made a conspiracy against him. They came in and they killed him before he even been, he'd only been reigning a week. And then a man named Omri was king in chapter 16, verse 16 to 28. He overlapped with Zimri. And that's what was going on there, in fact, while that conspiracy happened for Zimri to be killed to have Omri set up as king. And he reigned for 12 years. And then in chapter 16, verse 29 to 2240, there was a man named Ahab. You know that name, and we'll come back to that. He reigned for 22 years, wicked king. But even in his wickedness, there was, there was a bright light, uh, bright light about him, and we'll see that. Then the very last one in 1 Kings is King Ahaziah, and he reigns for two years. And he reigns, uh, he's still reigning at the end of 1 Kings. Then next week, Lord willing, we'll come back for 2 Kings, and we'll, we'll start with his reign. Then when you get to the kings of Judah, Rehoboam, we just read about there in early chapter 12, son of Solomon. He reigned for 17 years uh, as the first king of the divided kingdom with Judah. And then Abijah or Abijam is one of those where they spell their name a different way. And that's, you know, people, sometimes uh, people will say, well, that's a contradiction in scripture. You see that a lot of times with names. Sometimes people will spell a name different or they'll shorten a name. Uh, William, William can be Will. William can be Bill or Billy or Willie. So uh, it's, it's the same idea with, with names in the Old Testament. So anyway, he went by either spelling, but it was the same person, and he, dwelt, and, and he reigned for three years. Then there was King Asa. Uh, he reigned for 41 years, starting in chapter 15, verse 9 um, through 24, he's described. And he's the first good king of Judah. Put a pen there, because when we come to Second Chronicles in a few weeks, We'll talk more about Asa because he was indeed one of the good kings of Judah, a very good one. Reigned for 41 years. God did some great things uh, because he was king. Wasn't perfect, had his faults and failures, but he was the first one that was good. Then there was another king after him, and his name is Jehoshaphat. He was the second good king of Judah. He's found in 1524, and then it skips over to 22. So it can be kind of confusing, but it skips his reign to chapter 22, verse 41 to 50. He's mentioned in 1524, and then when you get towards the end of the book of 1 Kings, he's mentioned there. So that's a breakdown of what we'll see. Now, again, we'll come back to these kings and probably look at them a little bit, a little bit more detail when we come to 2 Chronicles and talk about that. So now, let's get to this part of the book of 1 Kings. Now is the ministry of Elijah that overlaps. Elijah was the first prophet in the divided kingdom. In fact, um, he's the first prophet uh, for Israel. Um, Moses is called a prophet. But we don't think of him so much as a prophet as the fact that he led Israel. But he's referred to as a prophet. Also, uh, you see... Uh, prophets in the book of Judges. You see, we talked about one or two prophets in the book of Judges when we studied it. Not a, what we'd call a major prophet. Uh, wasn't well known, but there, there was a prophet or two in the time of Judges. Then we get to um, uh, Saul in First. Uh, excuse me, not Saul. When you get to First Samuel, Samuel was a priest and he was also a prophet. Nathan was a prophet, but he was mostly a prophet to David personally. So this is the first um, prophet for Israel, and it's only for the he's he's the prophet to the ten tribes to Israel proper to the to the not the whole 
all 12, but to the 10 that make up the Northern Kingdom. So his ministry uh, was uh, very unique, and he's described uniquely uh, when, you, when you read about Elijah. Um, and then it ta- calls him, he's from a, uh, mentions a region where he was born in chapter 17, verse 1. He's called Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, um, as the Lord God of Israel live, liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. He comes on the scene, and when he does, he comes on very strong. And he confronts Ahab, who's a very, very wicked king. And he says there, there's going to be a drought, there's not going to be any rain, or even any dew, according to my word. Now, an interesting thing here, we'll come back to this at the end of the, st- uh, the study tonight, but an interesting thing is we're, we're not told how long that time period was until the New Testament. In the book of James, and, and then Jesus mentions it too, that it was three and a half years of the drought. But Scripture in, in the Old Testament doesn't give us the time frame. So it shows how Scripture fits together so perfect. But anyway, he his ministry begins, and it begins with a drought. And he tells uh, King Ahab, who's a wicked king, married to a wicked queen named Jezebel, that there was going to be drought. God was bringing judgment on um, Israel, and there was going to be drought for a period of time. And so um, the Lord uh, told him in verse 3, uh, I want you to leave and I want you to go and I want you to spend some time with me, Moses. And so, I'm um, Moses, Elijah, I want you to spend some time with me. And so he goes and he goes, dwells by a brook and the ravens feed him and bring him flesh morning and evening. And uh, the scripture says that God took care of him and uh, protected him uh, in his, uh, when, when, he, um, when, when he called him, after he had talked to uh, Ahab and give Ahab a warning of what was to come. God was warning him, look, your country's going to, our nation, our, my people are going to serve idols. I've given you warning and now I'm giving you warning there's going to be drought. So sure enough, there's a drought that comes. And then you read on through that chapter, you see a couple of miracles that happen. Um, uh, one of which is there's um, a widow that he meets, a uh, widow in an area region called Zarephath there in verse 9. In the New Testament, that's called Sarepta, but her name uh, is the places in Zarephath, and he uh, performs a miracle there. And then uh, another one also is uh, the child dies and brings it back to life. And so um, God does a couple of miracles through him, as he did through his prophets, uh, most all the time through his prophets. And then, of course, there are God's prophets, or God's prophet, rather, um, um, Elijah, but he's also among other prophets uh, as well, uh, prophets of God. In fact, he hides them. Look at verse, um, or they were hidden by a man named Obadiah, actually. Look at 18, verse 1. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. And Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So uh, Elijah was uh, a prophet, but there were other prophets as well. And they're not named, but Elijah's like the main guy, if you want to put it that way. But there are other prophets. And you read about uh, later on what's called a school of the prophets be kind of like what we think of maybe as a Bible institute or something today, where there were those that Elijah talked to and helped and trained them. And then we get to the next book, actually at the end of this book, we'll also begin to see about the ministry of a prophet named Elisha. So there's Elijah, 
with a J, and Elisha, uh, also Elisha with an S. And so uh, they're, they're both mentioned. And so uh, these prophets are hid by a man named Obadiah, and um, he, um, he feared the Lord greatly, even though he served under Ahab. So it goes to show you that no matter how ungodly a nation may be or how ungodly a, um, a king may be or those who, who um, are under him or serve under him, there's still um, maybe godly people uh, in spite of it all. So we see this man did a great thing by hiding those uh, prophets. So as you read on through, very familiar passage you've heard it preached about, you heard it taught about many times, where the prophets of Baal in the land, um, they were there, no thanks to uh, Ahab and his wife Jezebel. They were there in the land, and um, apparently they had been there for quite some time. They would offer up their sacrifices, and so um, there was a showdown on uh, Mount Carmel where um, Moses says, I keep saying Moses tonight, Elijah says to them, um, let your prophets, um, let them make sacrifice to Baal. And if he comes down and answers or brings down answers by fire, or if God answers by fire, let's see who the real true and living God is. And of course, you know how, how it went that they, um, they took the altars, they, they, they watered them down several times and, uh, God sent fire and licked up the uh, water, licked up the altar there. And God proved himself strong and God did a great victory through Elijah. And uh, brought, uh, brought victory for him, but mostly, not more importantly, for Israel, as they saw, again, of the true and living God. And many of them served him, and many of the prophets of Baal were slain after that. But then in chapter 19, you see another side of Elijah. Um, Elijah was a great man of boldness and a great man of faith. But like, like us, and we'll see this again at the end of the study, like us, he was human. He had his, his faults and failures. He had his frailties. He had his uh, times where he would uh, even be fearful. So when you get to chapter 19, you see where he had basically run from Jezebel after Jezebel threatens him. After all those prophets were killed, he saw the great work of God. He saw, um, uh, Elijah saw what God could do. He already knew what God could do. He saw the reality of it. And yet he's afraid of this one wicked woman and runs from her, the scripture says, but then as he's going and running from her, um, he, the first mistake I think he made is in verse 3. And when he saw, her, uh, saw that, knew that, that Jezebel was, going, was threatening his life, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. So this is in the southern part. He's the prophet to the northern kingdoms, right? So he's in the southern part here. And he left his servant there. He went all alone. Um, the one that would be there right by his side to help him, that would be there to encourage him, he left him. Sometimes we go through difficult times that get very difficult when we either are or we feel like we're all by ourselves. And so he left his servant. I think that was a mistake that he made there. Then he goes a day's journey in the wilderness. He sits under a juniper tree. And like Jonah, that will come up a little later, he wishes to die. Uh, it says there in verse 4, um, he says, Lord, just take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And he slept under the juniper tree, and when he woke up, um, the Lord um, had food for him. He said, the, the uh, journey's great. Eat this food. And then verse 8 tells us, And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mountain of God. So God, has a, he's fed, he gets some rest, and then he goes and spends forty days in the mountain with God, fasting, forty days and forty nights. Two other men in Scripture fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Who were they? You know, either one of them, either one, both. 
Jesus was one who's another. Moses was one. Moses, Jesus, and Elijah, all three fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus' ministry during one time, and we'll mention it tonight, he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who were the two that appeared to him? Moses and Elijah. But at any rate, for whatever reason, and I think there are other reasons in Scripture, but whatever reason, he, Jesus, and Moses were the only ones that Scripture records fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And God strengthens him spiritually for the rest of the time of his ministry. Then in chapter 19, you read on down through there, and you meet Elisha. Elisha is mentioned there. And um, Elijah comes, uh, comes in contact with him. They get to know each other. And he might have already been one of those prophets that was hidden in the cave. Scripture doesn't say. I don't think he was, but he could have been. But at any rate, um, look, at, look over to chapter 20 with me for just a moment. In verse 35. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets. So you'll see that phrase here, and then you'll see it again in 2 Kings. So obviously and evidently, there was a group of prophets who were kind of understudies to Elijah and later on to Elisha. And so just wanted to mention that side note as we get there. We get to chapter 20. Elijah and Ahab meet again. And then in chapter the end of chapter 20, Elijah tells him there's going to be a payday. Uh, and look at chapter 20, verse uh, 19, and then we'll skip to verse 23. Chapter 20 and verse number 19. And he said, Whither they become out for peace, take them alive, or whether they become out for war. So these young men of the princes of the provinces came out of the city, and the army which followed them, and I apparently had the wrong verse. Uh, probably should be 20, uh, 21. I'm sorry, that's 21, not 20. I don't know why I put 20. It's 21, verse 19 and 23. Second wrong slide tonight, verse 19. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and also taken possession? Thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Jo uh, Joab was a very wicked king, and we know we had, I'm not Joab, um, Ahab. He was a wicked king. He had a, a wife named Jezebel. What he's referring to here, chapter 20, 21, there was a man named Naboth who had a vineyard. And Ahab was very jealous. He wanted that vineyard for himself. And Jezebel says, you be a man and you go take over that vineyard. And so um, he had come whining to her and, and laying on the bed whining. You won't let me have his vineyard. I want that vineyard. And he cried and cried and cried. And Jezebel said, you be a man and you go take that vineyard. And so uh, he ended up having Naboth put to death and, takes, and gets that vineyard. And so because of that, Elijah says in the verse we just read, the dogs that lick the blood of Naboth, they're going to lick your blood. You've got payday coming one day, Ahab. And then when you read later, look at verse 23. Same chapter. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. He says, there's going to be a payday. You're going to continue in your wickedness, and you think you're going to get away with it, but you're not going to get away with it. There's going to be a payday. Many years ago, R.G. Lee uh, pastored till the 60s of Bellevue uh, in, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And he preached a famous message that he preached several times. I have it recorded and listened to it every, every couple of years. I love it. It's called Payday Someday. And it comes from these verses. Because when you read the next couple of chapters, nothing happens. They continue on in their wickedness. And then payday comes. Folks, God has his paydays. God will judge wickedness. And I shudder for this nation. God will, well, God will judge wickedness. 
chapter, uh, when you end it there, we go on through the end of the book. You get to uh, chapter 22, which ends it. And um, it comes to um, an end there where it describes some more about Baal at the end of it, at the end of chapter 22, and how in Samaria, uh, Jehoshaphat reigned, and he was a good king. Um, but then it talks about Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin, and his son, uh, or his descendants, but anyway, Jeroboam, and then uh, the, how he served Baal, and it ends very, on a very sad note, on a very dark note. Then you get to Second Kings, as we will, Lord willing, next week, and we will see the uh, last uh, little bit about Elijah's life in the, in the first couple of chapters, and then we'll see Elisha. Let's look at a couple of things here. First and second Kings give the perspective of Israel in the northern kingdom. As I mentioned earlier, first and second Chronicles give the perspective of Judah, the southern kingdom. All the kings are pretty much named. The ones in, in um, Israel are named um, and described more detail in first and first, second Kings. The ones of Judah are described in more detail for the most part in 1st and 2nd Chronicles. In Matthew 17, verse 1 to 9, this is which I referred to just a moment ago, Elijah appears with Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then in chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, the Bible tells us that Elijah was a man of prayer. Uh, chapter 5 of James describes him because James ends his book, uh, his very practical book about practical Christian living, and ends it with uh, some verses about praying, uh, uh, prayer and the importance of it. Verse 17, Elias, now that's the, uh, when you take, uh, you go into Greek language and translate it into English, Elijah's Old Testament named same man, Elias, is what you see in the New Testament. Elias, or Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained out on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And so he's described as a man of like passions. He was a man of prayer. It was written to Israel under Solomon, and then the kingdom divides. We learn man's inability to rule himself. Um, man doesn't do, do a very good job of that. That's just as old as the Garden of Eden. And each king left a legacy, uh, good or bad. All the kings of the north, remember, were bad. They all left a legacy. And so uh, the quote, uh, the, the phrase that I meant to put in that first slide that I try to have for each book, uh, the phrase for the book of First Kings and really going into Second Kings is simply, as his father David. Because all those kings are measured against David, how David uh, ruled, how he lived. David was a perfect man. He sinned, he disobeyed God. But David was a man after God's own heart. And so all of those kings are measured up against David. Uh, some wicked kings had godly sons. Some godly kings had wicked sons. How do you describe it? Nothing but the sin nature of man. That's the only way you can describe that is the sin nature of mankind. Um, some wicked kings had godly sons. There are one or two especially we'll look at and spend some time uh, we get to Second Chronicles talking about them. Uh, you also see God's patience during their disobedience. God is very patient with his people even when they disobeyed him uh, because he went many, many years, many decades before he, uh, before he allowed them to go into captivity, their enemy, because of their disobedience and idol worship. It is always wise to obey the word of the Lord. That's one of the phrases from Elijah. He said to Ahab, and he says in a couple other times, uh, uh, here, hearken to the word of the Lord. This is what the word of the Lord uh, is for you. Um, Jesus in 1 Kings 
is, uh, is given, we see the example of the picture, the type, Solomon. Solomon had a kingdom of peace. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to set up his kingdom after the tribulation, it'll be 1,000 years longer than 40. It'll be 1,000 years of perfect peace here on planet earth. And so Solomon um, is a type of Christ. And then the good kings of Judah, uh, the things they do right reflect uh, uh, our Savior in what they do right. An interesting thing, and we'll see this in 2 Chronicles, but go back with me to chapter 13 real quick. I know we're running out of time. Uh, go back with me to 1 Kings 13. And there's something interesting found here that doesn't happen until 2 Kings and then also 2 Chronicles. 1 Kings chapter 13, look at verse 1 down through verse number, or just verse 1 and 2. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah. That's the southern kingdom, of course. Um, by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Now remember, Jeroboam, wicked king, very, very wicked man. Verse 2, And he cried against the altar and the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord. This is a, a man of God, a, a prophet that's saying this. Behold, a child shall be born to the uh, house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests and the high places that shall burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. Josiah's birth is prophesied 304 years before he was even born. And so here what he's saying is, um, Jeroboam, you're doing wickedly, but God's going to raise up a king uh, in Judah, and his name's going to be Josiah. And when we get um, to Second Kings, Lord willing, next week, and then again in Second Chronicles, We'll look at his life. One of the good kings of Judah, my favorite king actually of Judah. Then you see a couple places in 1 Kings that stand out. In chapter 3 and verse 12, God blessed Solomon with, uh, with a lot of wealth, not because he asked for it, but because he asked for a wise and understanding heart. Chapter 3, verse 12 in 1 Kings. That's what God says, what can, I, what can I give you, Solomon? I'm giving you a blank check, literally, what can I give you? If God asked you, what can I do for you? What would you have me do for you? What would you put fill in that blank? You say salvation. We're, I'm, not, I'm talking about after you're saved. Okay. What would you put in that blank? He simply said, "I want a wise and understanding heart to rule over your people." He knew his dad had left a great legacy, and he left um, he left him with a great responsibility. So he asked for that, and he said, "Solomon." I'm going to give you that, and because you've asked for that, not for yourself, even for the lives of your enemies, even if didn't even ask for that, I'm going to give you wealth, and he did, gave him that. And then in chapter 19, verse 12, when we see Elijah on the run, the Bible says he stops there and he looks, and there's a, uh, there's a uh, earthquake, there's a fire, God's not into those things, a whirlwind, but then there's a still, small voice. And he, and he knows that that is the voice of God. Sometimes in life you need to slow down and stop and listen to the still small voice. God wants to speak to you through his spirit, through his word. Sometimes it's not going to be through some great big event. He can. He certainly can. But sometimes it's through a still small voice. And then in James 5, 17, we read a moment ago, Elijah was a man of like passions. He wasn't a perfect man. God did great things through him, but not because of who Elijah was, but because God called him and because he trusted God. He was a man of faith, and God used him greatly. Let's stop there, and Lord willing, we'll pick up next week in 2 Kings. Any questions or comments or anything on what we've seen in 1 Kings tonight? One thing Elijah was born while you were talking about Elijah.
He was. Very good. So he's been, how big was this? Say, eh? how much did he weigh? He's four pounds. Wow, little guy. And, but he's perfectly healthy. Four pounds and ten ounces. Very good. I'm sure it'll be flocking around for that. So, very good. Well, God's good. That's great. Great to hear. Anything else before we close? Let's stand, close in prayer, and we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for what we heard tonight and uh, read in, in your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, for how you worked through your nation, through your people. Even in their disobedience, you were patient with them. And, Lord, uh, you're patient with us, and we're grateful for that and how good you are to us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the good news tonight that as we studied about Elijah, another little Elijah was born. We pray that you'll bless them tonight. Help them, Father, that things will go well for them now and in the days to come. And I pray that you'll be with them and, um, uh, as, they're, as they're there at the hospital for the time there. We pray that you'll be with them as they come home soon. Thank you so much for your love and mercy. And we thank you for time in your word tonight. I pray that you'll keep us safe as we leave from here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name.